What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're going to go through our week eight mailbag where we got some doozies of questions. Some I submitted, and frankly, you guys came out with some really great answers. And I want to get started right away with those by introducing producer Tyler, Tyler Wojak, who joins me to do this show. Tyler, how you doing? You're catching me at a tough time, RJ. I'm not going to lie. We're taping this not even an hour removed uh, from my Guardians being eliminated by the Yankees in the MLB playoffs. And now that distraction has gone away. Now I have to focus on the fact that my football team is terrible. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm good. How are you? Hey, I, I've been there. And frankly, you know, you could be a Dodgers fan. That's the way that is. Myself? I'm surrounded by Padres fans in Tulsa. Not really. Like my, one of my best friends is a Padres, Padres fan, and he's having such a good time right now, and I hope to keep the miracle going. But I want to talk about the prospect of another miracle happen. We've seen it three times. Can you please get us started with the question that I submitted? Yes, we can. So you asked the question, can you win a national title with a high-powered offense and a so-so defense? So where did that come from? Well, we're in that time of year, right, where we're seeing lots of explosion in football. Matter of fact, Tennessee beats Alabama for the first time in 16 years, 52 to 49, over a thousand yards of offense in there. And all of a sudden, the SEC is going, yeah, we can score on each other. I, I remember when this was blasphemous, right? Nine to six. That's what y'all do. But now that Tennessee is showing everybody you can go fast and you can score, is that sustainable? Because the defense isn't outstanding, but I thought it was worth asking the question, can you win a national championship with a top high-powered offense and a so-so defense? And I'm really interested to see what answers you pull from that question. Yes, yeah, so you got a lot of responses to this question. And let's start off with this one coming from Kevin L. Matthews II, who says, I think the 2019 LSU proved it, but that's about it. Maybe that 2010 Auburn team, too. Now, I will say that a lot of these responses, a lot of people did include that 2019 LSU team. And I think there might be some misconceptions about that defense. Yeah, there are a handful. And I'm going to take on the offensive part of this and get to the misconceptions when we get to your really discussion about what this answer means. But 48.4 points per game. Joe Burrow wins the Heisman after throwing for 5,000-plus yards and 60 TDs with just six interceptions. And you've got ridiculous wide receiver. Matter of fact, perhaps the best wide receiver core on one football team that anybody's ever seen, taking into account what they accomplished at LSU and what they're doing in the NFL. Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, of course, Jamar Chase. And then you put the duo of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase together, and all they do is go to the Super Bowl shortly after winning the national championship in 2019 they won the Joe Moore award with that offensive line that offense is ridiculous and we might see somebody approach that but I remember thinking at the time that it's phenomenal what they're doing but fascinating what they're doing given the defense that they were playing right because this is also a team that needed to beat a Texas team that wasn't great 45 to 38 and then we're looking at other games where they play really tight against Auburn and I think you're on to something when you talk about perhaps we should take a harder look at this team Right, so that, that defense, while it wasn't in the top 20 in scoring defense, they had six guys on that defense get drafted in the 2020 NFL draft. And then that doesn't even include guys like D. 
Derek Stingley Jr., who was maybe the best freshman cornerback in college football history, came out and was dominant right away. So even though they were out, they, they might have given up some points, I know Grant Delpit was injured that year. That team was still really, really good. And yeah, that offense might have been the most decorated offense ever. I mean, they had number one overall pick at quarterback, first round pick at running back, Joe Moore award winning offensive line. And like you said, maybe the greatest wide receiver tandem, at least in my lifetime, I would say. So kind of... <laughs> It's like, yeah, you can win a national title, but like maybe you have to have the greatest offense ever. I am also like, we're going to get yelled at if we don't say Clyde Edwards Lair's name just right away. But it's a great point you make about those six players that were drafted. As a matter of fact, at the time, they set the record for the most players drafted in one single NFL draft off of one team. That's how stacked they were on both sides of the ball. And they also had one of the great defensive coordinators over there in Dave Aranda, who flipped Baylor into a Sugar Bowl winning team like literally three years later. I'm really impressed with what that team still looks like, you know, in hindsight, because at the time I was not that appreciative of what they were able to do because frankly, they had a 20 point lead against Alabama at halftime and they only won that game by five points. And it really came down to the defense having to make a play. So I I think there's a lot to pick on there, but really the take is if you have a generational offense, yeah, you can have the 32nd best defense in all of FPS and still win the national championship without losing a game. Yeah, right. And, and like Kevin said here, maybe that 2010 Auburn team too. So I guess, yes, you can. You just have to have maybe the greatest college football player of my lifetime. Well, so it's all it takes. Here's the thing. That there, right, is contentious because your man's a couple summers ago, you know, the summer of the plague, was like, I'm going to write a column about the 10 best college football players of all time. And I have Cam Newton at the top of the list for one reason. He's that dude at Auburn. Okay, I I stress this, and this is not to dunk on Auburn fans, but you know what it is. You Auburn. At Auburn, nobody heard from Gene Chizik before or after. Not really, right? That dude really single-handedly put you in the national championship game and won you one. It's him and Nick Fairley. That's about it, right? You can't name anybody else on either one of those offenses or defenses that's how ridiculous he was. And we've seen other players that feel like they are that caliber of player, but I still single him out because none of those dudes went to Auburn and won a national championship. That's my high horse on 2010 Auburn. Also helps that they were actually pretty doggone decent when it comes to defense. I think they gave up just over 22 points per game. Yeah, what is Gene Shizik doing nowadays? He's the defensive coordinator at North Carolina, giving up 45 points to a Drew Pine-led offense. Okay, let's get to our next response here. This one comes from Urs, uh, who says, no, ask OU under Riley. This one hits a little bit close to home for you. Uh, right right in the heart. Like, just stab through it, man. Hey, me too, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, it's one of these things where you keep asking yourself this question. And when I had the local radio show, in Tulsa, 9 to 11 weekdays, I would do basically college football. And I talk a bunch about Oklahoma. And in 2017, 2018, 20, uh, 2019, we would have the same discussion at this time of year, which is, hey, can Oklahoma actually win a national championship? Let not, not make the playoff, not win the Big 12. Can you win a national championship with a bad defense? Not a so-so defense, a bad defense. And the answer is unequivocally no. If nothing else, you're going to get your head handed to you in the playoff. That's what we learned about great offenses, putting up 45, 46 points per game and bad defenses. You have to be very good to great to ensure your chance of winning a national championship. But if you're an Oklahoma fan, 
one of the reasons that you were so excited about Brent Venables becoming the head coach at Oklahoma is for the first time, and it feels like about 15 years, OU is going to get to walk out and say, we got the best defense on the football field. And that hasn't been true, at least in the first seven games. Maybe it gets better as he gets more of his players in and doesn't have to deal with a roster that's been gutted. Everybody learns the system. But yeah, there's a reason as to why Oklahoma fans feel some kind of way about this question, which is always going to end for us in a no. Right. And that's another thing about those Oklahoma offenses. They were so good that they would score so quickly and get the defense right back on the field. So when they're on the field all the time, their flaws are going to get exposed more often. That's just how it's going to work when your offense is constantly scoring and giving the ball back to your defense. Uh, let's get to our third response. So this one comes from James McCormick, who says, 2005 Texas feels like it might qualify. It matters to have the ball last in each big game like they did, though. You're also talking about a defense that ranked inside the top 10. Right. Right. Which is going to lead into a larger point I'll make here in a bit. But like you had Vince Young, who is up there, if not number one for me, Cam Newton, number two. Right. You're talking about one of the greatest college football players who ever lived. And he had a top 10 scoring defense on the other side. Now, a point that I'm going to get back to Tyler on this because he raised this before the show. You're also playing a really great USC team, right, Tyler? Right, maybe the best offense ever. We've talked, we've mentioned like three offenses that might be the best ever, but that that 2005 USC team, man, they, they were just different. Leinert, Bush, my goodness. And then I remember looking at the linebacking core and thinking that Ray Malaluga was going to be the dude. And it turns out, no, Clay Matthews, the dude that I did not care the least bit about, was the dude. And then you have Brian Cushing over there. They're just ridiculous. Yeah. That was such a stupid run for Pete Carroll. And the Trojans, y'all all know that Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, a big part of what we do here at Fox Sports is college football vertical and, frankly, college football lore. But it also brings me into the discussion in a way that I wanted to answer this question because I've been asking it over and over again in different ways. And today, talking with producer Tyler about, you know, just what needs to happen for a Tennessee or even a Texas Christian to not just make the college football playoff, but win a national championship. They're going to have to be outstanding defensively in the second half. That's just what it is. Because when I look at this, I'm talking about those three teams that we've hit on already. Auburn, which is a unicorn, right? Then we talk about 2019 LSU, which is also a unicorn. And then we're talking about 2014 Ohio State. So 2014 Ohio State does not have one of the top defenses in the country. And I think they got the fifth best scoring offense in the country. That year, they happened to be playing the fourth-best scoring offense in the country, and another team that did not have a top-20 defense in Oregon. I don't know that we're going to see another national championship game where we end up with two defenses that do not rank inside the top 20 facing each other for the championship, and the way that both of those teams got there is also ridiculous. Remember, Ohio State had to march back through the standings just to get to the playoff, and it came down to them stopping a mud hole in a really good Wisconsin team, 59-0, and Texas Christian stopping a mud hole in a very bad Iowa State. Turns out having a 14 playoff was always a bad idea, if you ask me. But as we're also looking at this, I don't know that Tennessee can repeat the same sort of magic and the same sort of experience they had against Alabama when it comes to playing, say, Georgia, right? Because that is going to be the game for the SEC East, you ask me and you ask most college football fans. You're not going to win that game putting up 40, 52 and giving up 49. 
You're going to have to hold Stetson Bennett in check. As a matter of fact, the way to look at this, I think, is going back to the national championship game where Alabama had, you know, a lead. And they gave up that lead, but only after Stetson Bennett put the ball on the floor and the defense held up. We're talking about another generational defense. N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Christopher the Peacemaker Smith, Healy Ringo. We can keep going down the line of just what Kirby Smart has been able to do defensively, and the offense has finally started to catch up. And I think that's the way that you build your college football program if you're trying to win championships. And then I looked at what we know from the first half of the year and which one of these teams do I think holds up. Georgia, obviously, right? That's one. The other two are actually in the Big Ten. Michigan, who has made a believer out of me, who has stomped a mud hole in every great rush defense that they've faced and knocked off in a convincing way Penn State in their last game. And then the other one is Ohio State, who's putting up more points than anybody else in football this year at 48.4 points per game. But they're also ranking inside, well, not inside, just at number 10 in scoring defense, giving up 15.7 points per game. What's more interesting is that Michigan has a better scoring defense right now against what we might also say is better competition. They're giving up about 11.7 points per game so far through the first half of their season. So the game not only ends up being one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game of the regular season this year, and not just a play-in game, we think, for the Big Ten Championship, but also a play-in game for what we think is going to be the college football playoff selection spot because that team we expect to win the Big Ten Championship. So I look at this and I say Ohio State stood up for this for the first time in years and maybe the first time since 2002 when they have a defense that can do almost as much as the offense can do. You have a generational talent at quarterback in C.J. Stroud. You have outstanding wide receiver group like a la LSU, Emeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr. And that's before I get to a healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got outstanding tailbacks. And you've got a couple of players that you did not expect to get outstanding production from on the defensive side in the first year for defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. It's all coming together for them. And I'm going to get to see it up close here on Saturday when they play Iowa in Columbus. But that's what it takes. It takes you having a balanced program. You have to be outstanding offensively. You have to be outstanding defensively. Otherwise, you're just going to show up to the college football playoff and get your head kicked in because I'm an Oklahoma fan. That's just the way that it is. Tyler, anything out of there seem off base to you? No, I totally agree. You have to have both at this point because the teams at the top are just too good now on both sides of the ball. You're not running into a team that's so one-sided. It's, it just doesn't work out. But I think James brings up an interesting point because he says 2005 Texas feels like it might qualify. I think that's partially because, like we've mentioned, that last game that they played, they did give up a lot of points to that USC team. But as we've discussed, that was an unbelievable offense. That same Texas team, shut down an Ohio State team earlier in the season that had Troy Smith, Ted Ginn Jr., and I'm pretty sure Santonio Holmes as well. So we think about that last game. They did give up some points, but that's because they went up against some great, great teams, and that's what happens when you get into these situations. So at this point now, like you just have to have both to win a national championship, and, and you're right. Right now, based on what we've seen so far, Ohio State really looks like the team that is the offense and the defense to win a national championship. That's well said. It's well said. And I, I want to piggyback on that just by saying USC, Texas, right? That game, you just want to be able to cancel out the other one. And right. that's what we got, right? Somebody that can go blow for blow if it comes to that. Exactly. We might see that again this year. I want to skip ahead here. We're going a little out of order uh, because you asked the question, will Tennessee or Texas Christian make 
the college football playoff. And sort of on this note, what we've been talking about here, Tennessee obviously now right in the thick of things. Uh, Texas Christian as well coming off their comeback win. So right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, how do you feel about this? I don't think that either one of these teams uh, is giving themselves any any room for error, right? Yeah. It's very much within reason for Texas Christian or Tennessee to make the college football playoff, right? Because that just means you continue to do what you have been doing. You run the table. You beat everybody in front of you. And I made a mistake on the Sunday show that I'm going to cop to you right now, in which I said Tennessee had beaten three ranked opponents. Uh, Producer Cat, a Tennessee volunteer and alumna. Hey, hey, RJ, that's four. That's four, dog. That's four. <laughs> you know? And I'm looking at that going, goodness me. And then I looked at Texas Christian's schedule. They're going to play their fourth straight-ranked opponent this weekend against Kansas State to have an opportunity to join Tennessee with four ranked wins. I did not think we would be halfway through the season talking about Tennessee and Texas Christian having the most ranked wins of any other team in college football. So if you are the selection committee and you do want to do the math and you do want to go down the resumes, it's going to be really tough for you to look past either one of those teams based on who they played and what they were ranked when they played them. Now, for Tennessee, it's it's easy. It's easy because if you go beat Georgia, you have everybody's respect. And you have what should be a walk to the SEC championship game where you will probably get to play another Alabama team, right? In either case, you probably get the nod about getting to the playoff, all things being equal if there's a one-loss Pac-12 champion or a one-loss Big 12 champion. For Texas Christian, they're still got to play other teams. They got to get past Texas, which I think is going to be an awesome November game. But they also had to get past this Kansas State team. They barely got past Oklahoma State in overtime. They're white knuckling it in a way that, well, they're playing with house money at this time because we didn't think Sonny Dykes and that team were going to be this good to start. And it's a feel-good story to be bowl eligible in October. But it's tough, man, because you know the Big Ten champion is going to get in. You know that whoever wins the SEC is going to get in. And maybe maybe the other team playing in that conference championship game. So that's three spots, right? What are you going to do if you got a one-loss Texas Christian? That's the problem. If you got a one-loss Texas Christian that wins the national or wins the national, wins the Big 12 championship, I don't think they're getting in, especially if you're looking at UCLA being undefeated going into the Pac-12 championship game. There's just a lot of moving and shaking to be done here, but I thought it was more interesting to wonder who gets in if we're down to, say, one loss, right? If we we got a Tennessee team that maybe has a loss to Georgia, but doesn't play in the SEC championship game, do people really give them the benefit of the doubt because they beat Alabama? Tyler, I don't think so, dog. I think that the selection committee really likes being able to say, no, you've done it for a couple of years. We can let you in now, as opposed to, no, we like what you did right now, and we're going to give it to you right now. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to our first response. This one comes from Preston, who says, if TC runs the table, they get in. The question is, Mm -hmm. would a one-loss SEC runner-up get left out in the process? And like you were saying, it's not necessarily always about what you've done this year. It kind of has to do with what you've done in the past. And the team like Alabama whether it's right or wrong, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Like, did you watch that Alabama-Tennessee game and then Alabama lost? You thought, oh, they're out of the playoff. No, I don't think anyone did for that matter. So in TCU's case, they have to run the table. No, that's correct. Uh, I, I don't see another way for them to do this. And it's it's also, it sucks for them that Oklahoma is bad because you beat Oklahoma like they stole something and all anybody wants to say is they should not be a top 25 team. 
It also sucks that Texas Tech was able to beat Texas in overtime because I think a lot of people would give you credit for beating an undefeated Texas a little bit more than they would give for a one-loss Texas or even a two-loss Texas, right? So it's it's just tough. But we all know what Alabama is, and we saw what Texas did against Alabama. We saw what Tennessee did against Alabama. You really need Kansas State to finish this the rest of the way, and you need Kansas to continue to be Kansas, right? You need the rest of the Big 12 to hold you up for you to have a chance to get in this because, for me, this is really a discussion about is the Big 12 a better league than the Pac-12, which is, I guess, the question that we've been asking since 2017, and the Big 12 has won that argument. So if you are our Texas Christian, you got to feel good about that, but it's won that argument because Oklahoma is a blue blood and Oklahoma is a national brand, and Oklahoma has run this conference for the better part of 25 years. I just think it sucks to be Texas Christian right now. That That's all, because you, you just, you're moving uphill. It's like Cincinnati in 2020. They're never going to let you in. 2021, we let you in, you got beat down. Now we don't have to hear from you anymore. Yeah. If you're a TCU fan, whether it pains you or not, you are the biggest Texas Longhorn fan until that game is played. Because you need Texas looking awesome so that mm. if you were to beat them and were to remain undefeated, that game will mean something. Because right now, and partially due to the fact that Oklahoma has been disappointing this year, TCU doesn't have that signature win yet. Even though Texas did lose to Texas Tech, I think if Texas, uh, even though they had a little bit of a letdown in a win against Iowa State, if they get back on track, start dominating teams, and then TCU beats them, I think that might be a, an emphatic statement to the college football playoff committee. Um, but it's still early. So let's move on to our next day, uh, next response here. This one comes from Hank Willis, who just, I'm guessing, a ball fan. Because uh, Hank says, Tennessee, absolutely. So now I think it's time. What what are Tennessee's chances to make the CFP? You beat Georgia, you're going to get in. That's the way I think about this. I think if you beat Georgia and you don't take a bad L, say Missouri, right, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to play for a, a national championship because we have such – a large amount invested in what Alabama does and what Georgia does, right? I also would add in here, Georgia is the second best scoring defense in the country, okay? Uh, pop quiz, who's the number one scoring defense in the country? Answer, Illinois, 8.9 points per game, but we're, we're not even going to go there, right? We're just going to stick with the 9.1 that Georgia gives up a game, and that's when you take into account, well, Damn, it really sucks for Tennessee that they don't have Kent State on the schedule because we'd have to get the right it there. But that's the point, right? What kind of Georgia team are you expecting to play? And if you think that you can hold Stetson Bennett in check and that offense in check long enough for Hendon Hooker to be Heisman Hendon Hooker, you have a chance there. But goodness, that's, that's a tough sell. I mean, uh, even for me, that has really been high on the Tennessee Volunteers going into this offseason, I was going, hey, they could be good. Right and producer cats going, RJ, don't don't do this to me. I'm like, they they could be good. I didn't know they were going to be this good. And I, and I I swear to you, anybody that told you they were going to be six and zero going into you know their next game is lying to you because you're looking at the schedule going, no, that's a loss, that's a loss, and that's a loss. Sorry, Tennessee, you have a tough schedule. Do you want do you reward Tennessee for the tough schedule that they play? If you are the college football playoff selection committee, I don't know. We have no data here. It's been. That long since Tennessee was good. I was having this discussion at the barbershop. I get my hair cut every Tuesday before I do the shows. And one of my barbers is a Tennessee fan. He called me out because uh, I shouted out Cat and I counted out my cousin Rico. He's like, you don't shout me out. You know, you know I was you know I was starving. 
And he was like, yo, RJ, I've been a Tennessee fan since we was pups. He's 35 and I'm 35. And I never knew this. We went to high school together. I never knew this. I said, how you come you didn't tell me you're a Tennessee fan? Because I ain't had nothing to talk to you about. Like we had Derek Dooley. What am I supposed to say? We ran Lane Kiffin out of town. What am I supposed to say? And now we're in a position where it feels good to be a volunteer. And I said, but you still got to play Georgia. Why are you bringing that up, RJ? Because that's the game. So for me, it really does come down to can you beat Georgia? And right now, I'm sorry to say it. I don't think you're that good. I don't. I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. But you got to go do it. If you go do it, I will be here stopping for you in November when it matters. But you got you to go make me look good by going to win that game before I'm like Tennessee making the playoff. I Put it another way, Texas Christian probably has a better chance to go undefeated. But Tennessee has a better chance to make the playoff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense in – just a, a side note before we move on here. What if I told you before the season that the Tennessee-Georgia game could be the most impactful games in determining the Heisman Trophy? We could be looking at Hendon Hooker versus Stetson Bennett. One of them could have a Heisman moment in that game. That's just crazy to think about. That'd be awesome, yeah, honestly. Uh, and it's knowing what both of their stories are because both of those guys had adver- adversity early in their careers, right, and the kind of players they turned out to be. I'm here for that. Like, I, I don't think I would have dismissed that out of hand. I would just been like, I would like to know more. <laughs> that's that's fair. All right, let's move on to our last question that you put out there. Speaking of spotlighting players, you asked, uh, who is the best player on your team nobody is talking about? And I can tell you there were a lot of responses, which is good. I like fans putting on for their guys. Uh, but let's go to our first one. This one comes from Bill, who says, Mayan Williams and Tommy Eichenberg. Take your pick, RJ. Well, I like I, I like Tommy Eichenberg here. I also want to give flowers to Mayan Williams because this is not a dude that many people expected to be the guy that he's become in the last couple of years. Evan Pryor coming in, right? He was going to be a guy they lost in a season-ending injury to start the season. And Travion Henderson, a dude that I've been way ahead on coming out of Hopewell because I'm going, nobody's seen a tailback like this coming out of Virginia maybe ever. And the comp at the time was Christian McCaffrey, and I still think that works. He's put on some more weight. He's a heavier runner now, so he looks more uh, built like Zeke than he does a slender pass-catching back that's going to, you know, return punts and kicks. But Mayan has answered the bell when Travion's been injured, putting up 189 in, in a game here recently, and they need both. They're going to need both of those guys to be that guy. And when Master Teague was not looking like Master Teague toward the end, you had a Travion Henderson step up. I want to get Mayan Williams there, but I also – have really come to love what Tommy Eichenberg has become for the Buckeyes. I want to make sure that I get this right, Tyler, because I was giving this some thought, and I really wanted to nail this one because Jim Knowles coming in in his first year, I didn't expect it to go well because it took three years for that defense to catch hold at Oklahoma State. And frankly, he hasn't had to put much of the playbook in at Ohio State because, well, they're just that talented and they're just that savvy at playing the game of football. But Tommy Eichenberg gets this defense and apparently finds his way. He becomes the first Ohio State Buckeye to win Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week in two years. This is early in September. This is after the Wisconsin game. He's got 50 tackles through six games. He had 47 all of last year. Uh, He didn't play much at all in the 2020 year. And all of a sudden, that is the dude that is leading your defense. I think of him as Malcolm Rodriguez was at Oklahoma State, uh, a do-everything under-recruited kind of player that 
I don't want to say you're under-recruited when you go to Ohio State, but you get my point here. Not necessarily do that you're expecting to be yeah. the guy leading the defense, but that's who he has become. I think he's got like six tackles for loss and two and a half sacks. And having a dude that can seek and destroy in that 4-2-5 has been everything to that defense, along with Tanner McAllister, who I think deserves his flowers, being a grad transfer and really helping Jim Knowles be a grad assistant on the field for them. But I did not expect to see Tommy Eichenberg being a dude that could win a Buckus Award or a Bed and Eric Award. And provided he plays well against Iowa, going into November, I expect him to be mentioned as one of the better linebackers in all of college football. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about. Um, he comes from a great football family. His brother, Liam, currently plays for the Dolphins. He played left tackle at Notre Dame, and he was really, really good. And I know that his brother wasn't too happy that Notre Dame didn't pursue Tommy, but I don't know what kind of looks Tommy was getting. Like you said, how could you be under-recruited when you go to Ohio State? Well, he did play in their backyard. He's from Cleveland. He went to St. Ignatius High School. And I don't think he was getting nearly as many looks as his older brother, Liam, did when he was coming out of high school. And now... I mean, he's really excelling at Ohio State. And you look at what Ohio State did last year, uh, their biggest flaw was their linebackers. I mean, they couldn't mm -hmm. stop the run. A big portion of that was their linebackers. And I think coming into this season, um, the national media didn't have a ton of respect for that linebacking core. I mean, their linebacking coach last year, Al Washington, got fired. And we know about all the turnover there on defense. So I don't think expectations were that high. And now all of a sudden you've got Tommy coming in, having an awesome year. And you're right, he could, he's up there for multiple defensive awards. And it is kind of funny that Mayan Williams is also in this discussion because he did have five touchdowns like three weeks ago. That just shows you, man, Ohio State is moving different. They're a machine. Uh, but honestly, everyone on that team deserves some credit and looks like we're giving it to them now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the found money that is a great defense, the top 10 scoring defense, you're living your best life if you're an Ohio State fan because when Jim Knowles got this job, they weren't asking for the moon. They were just saying, hey, make us respectable enough to where we can go out and not feel like the offense has to score 50 to win the game. Make us feel as if we're going to be in every game we play, and they have been. They haven't given up more than 21 in any game this year while the Buckeye offense has been setting records. Score like 77 against Toledo and, and put up 700 yards. It's been stupid. Like That's, that's what they're able to do, and I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Ohio State is the only SEC team above the Mason-Dixon line. It's hard to argue with that. This one comes from uh, Corey Hill, who gave another dual response, which is kind of funny. A lot of people gave oh. two when you asked for one. Uh, Corey said, uh, offense, Jordan Whittington, and on defense, Ryan Watts. Okay, so for the uninitiated, Jordan Whittington was always supposed to be this dude. Uh, he, he's blossoming in this offense after a year within it. But anybody that saw Jordan Whittington in high school was like, where are you going to put him? Is it tailback? Is it slot? Is it on the numbers? He can play defense. He's turned into that kind of guy. And I think Marcus Washington choosing to transfer to Nebraska also helps him here. I also think that Tyler Owens choosing to transfer uh, has helped him a bit. But, like, I looked at Jordan Whittington and I just said it's just going to it's going to happen. It's about where he is in the offense and what the offense is trying to do. And I think not necessarily having – a dude uh, at tight end has really opened up that offense a bit. And then you have Quinn Ewers, who's frankly the best quarterback that they've had since Colt McCoy at Texas. But the dude that I want to harp on here is Ryan Watts. Ryan Watts, you'll know, committed to Texas. At one point, it looked like, looked like he was looking at OU. And then he ends up at Ohio State, right, where he plays well, but goes into the portal, comes out, returns back to his home state. He's from Little Elm. 
And I was really bullish on him in this Pete Kwiatkowski defense. The difference is I didn't know how the secondary was going to look because, well, I mean, Jimmy Lake and Pete Kwiatkowski did the thing at Washington, and I wasn't sure what the split was going to do for the secondary. And they were bad last year. They were giving up 450-plus yards per game. And this year, they have stuck Ryan Watts at the boundary and said, son, you're going to be on your own. And he said, bet, I got it. I'm going to lock down the boundary. And for those of you that like the football nerd of this, you'll enjoy the hash marks are different in the NFL and in college football, and they matter, right? Because it just means that the boundary is going to be a little bit narrower or wider depending on which sport you're playing. But either way, if you're playing college football, we're going to roll the defense toward the field because we need to be able to cover this 60%. That means we have to be able to trust the guy playing corner to play press man and to run with people, get his head around, and get his hands on the football. And you saw what that meant for Texas in 2022 when he went out against Iowa State. They did not have somebody ready-made to just go lock down one side of the field. And for the folks that are really asking about boundary versus field, why don't you want to put the better corner at the field? Because the better corner should not need help, right? That's it. And you're going to try to squeeze the sideline. You're going to try to use that as your other safety, but that's just not how it works. If somebody can run past you, they're usually going to do it. And that's an easier throw for the quarterback to make because it's to the near side of the field. There's no deep out he has to throw that, you know, is the NFL arm you have to have. There's just a lot of work. And then you got to come downhill if you're playing in a cover two. If you're playing in a quarter coverage, you're going to have to fly. If you're playing in a cover three, you're going to have to fly and bend. Ryan has developed into one of the better, longer cornerbacks that the NFL values because the length that he has and the speed that he has makes him a giraffe out there that can run like a lion. And I'm really having a good time watching a dude that I got to know in high school. You dig deep on the YouTube channel. You can find a few interviews that I did with Ryan Watts. But I was very excited to see him at Ohio State because at the time, I think Jeff Hapley was still the dude. And we knew what that secondary was doing at the time. And now he's found himself once again at the University of Texas as they are trying to make themselves into a Big 12 champ for the first time. And my goodness, uh, we're going on 2009, 20, what, 13 years? And a lot of that is because that dude decided to transfer down there and make it work at Boundary Corner. Yeah, uh, I have nothing more to add to that. Also, I, other than I want to ask, is uh, Ohio State now a pipeline for Texas? they just going to go in there it, every year? Man, Ohio State has been a, a – excuse me, Texas has been a pipeline for Ohio State. That's like, point. think about it this That's way. J.K. Dobbins, Texas. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Texas. Like, I keep going down the line here. Like, the number of dudes that Ohio State has pulled out of Texas, and by the way, Florida, is going to send most Oklahoma and Texas fans into a frenzy. My favorite story to go out on this one real quick. I love telling this story, so I'm going to tell it again. Garrett Wilson is from Austin, Texas, or he played – he's from Ohio, but he played high school football at Austin, Texas, and he's asked, why aren't you going to Texas? Why did you choose to go to Ohio State? And he says straight up, because I want to be developed. I fell out. I fell out laughing. Because at the time, you have to remember, the last first-round draft pick that Ohio State put out at wide receiver, right, Anthony Gonzalez. That was the last one, okay? They had two go in that draft, but he was the last one. Ted Ginn and then Anthony Gonzalez at, like, 31st overall. Anthony Gonzalez is like a senator uh, or congressman in the state of Ohio now. It had been that long. And then Garrett Wilson has developed into a first-round draft pick alongside Chris Olave. You know how much I enjoy Brian Hartline in that story. But goodness me, yes, uh, it, Texas, like, finally, 
we got one back and then we got another one back this is what you get and ohio State's like sure have them it's fine we're gonna reload it's okay uh, but that's it. That's all the responses we've had. Thank you guys for sending them in. Another challenge this week, though, send in some questions. We had some really good ones, and then this week we had none. So hopefully you guys will bounce back, and then we'll have more to discuss on the show. But that's it. I think they're saving them all up for the mailbag after the college football playoff rankings are revealed. We're getting close to that. I'm very excited about it. November 1st is going down. My thanks to producer Tyler for joining me doing this. We're having a lot of fun with the mailbag. I'm going to say, yeah, uh, I would love you guys to ask some questions following week eight. What do you want to see? Who has impressed you, right? I'll continue to put out my questions out there, and we'll probably integrate those into the show as we keep going. Uh, again, that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks to producer Dyler. My thanks to our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly. Our director today is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of streaming is Rachel Cohn. And I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Saturday night. Yeah. Deuces.